Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. The Bible says, what then? Are we better than they? No and no wise. We have before proved both the Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Paul's proved that they're all under sin. The Jews can't claim Paul as prejudice. After all, Paul is a Jew. And he was willing to give the Jew every advantage owed to the Jew. Yet we saw that the Jews still fell short. They had the advantage. They had the law of Moses. They had the prophets. They had the oracles of God. What did they do? They went the way of sin. The Gentile, we looked already looked at that. They can clearly, they can look up, up to heaven. They can clearly see that there's a God by the evidence is given. What do they do? They go the way of sin. If you look at verse number 12, in the middle of verse 12, it says, they are together become unprofitable. Both the Jew and the Gentile, both were made for the master's use. And they were supposed to bring some profit, but they became unprofitable. And so when we look at Romans chapter 3 and verse number 9, you see where it says in the middle, no and no wise? No one is better than anybody else. Jew or Gentile, it's been established, they're all under sin. And a man without Christ, a woman without Christ, stands condemned before God because of their sin. The world that we live in is a world of pride and plenty. It's a world of prosperity and pleasure. And all it does is really, it doesn't fill our heart with gratitude towards a loving God. It fills our heart with ingratitude. All that we have. Does anybody stop anymore and say, thank you, God, for the sunshine and the rain? Thank you, God, for the fertile land and the fruits and the vegetables and the herbs? Our heart gets filled with more ungratitude than gratitude. As if God can't dry up the land like that. It's a blessing to have food. Praise God. We shake our fists at mad dictators of the world. At Putin. And we should. No one likes what that man's doing. Except some professing Christians go their own way as dictators. Dictating to God what they are going to do. With the gifts that God has given them. And the blessings that God has bestowed upon them. And we walk around like our own little dictator. God's not telling me what to do. I'm the boss. We need to be careful of those things. And what follows in Romans chapter 3 is just a terrible description of human nature. And what we see in Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 12, we see God as a judge. Look what it says in verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Now, let me ask you this question. Is man totally depraved? Yes, man is totally depraved. But a Calvinist would say this. I know we just went through a conference on it, but let me just park a little bit to add some clarity to these specific verses. A Calvinist would say that a man is morally unable to see. He's morally unable to hear or understand or confess until God regenerates that man. It's as if you are saved before you know you are saved. God knows you are. You just don't know you are. 
That's what the Calvinists would say. But what total depravity, what, what total depravity means biblically is the total nature of man, the entire nature of man is affected and depraved. No part of man is exempt from his depravity. And it's pretty comprehensive as we read verses 10, 11, and 12, that man is totally fallen. He's totally condemned. And you can just throw out human character and you can throw human potential. Just throw it out the window. It don't matter. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. But look at Romans chapter number four. Look at verse number three. For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So how, biblically, you can't make the jump and say, man is totally depraved, therefore he is totally unable to see or hear or confess or respond. You can't biblically make that jump unless, unless you've got a contradiction in your Bible. Why do I say that? Because if you read Romans 10, which we did, we just did, there's none righteous. But then you read Romans 4 and you say, well, Abraham was righteous. So then you got to ask yourself, well, which one is it? It's got to be one or the other, or you got a contradiction. Well, it's not a contradiction if you get context, which is what we're going to try to do right now. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. When it says there is none righteous, no, not one, look at that. No one did or ever will rightfully fulfill God's requirement for perfect law keeping. No man can do that. The demands of the law are so great that not a one of us will live up to it. So, yes, man is totally depraved. He's totally imperfect. He's totally fallen short. No amount of good works that he can do will fulfill what God's requirement is for perfectness. But look at Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Let's look at that again. For what saith the scripture? It's a question. The answer is Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Is that saying that I am morally unable to confess? No. In no wise. It's not saying that. Abraham believed by faith. And it was counted to him for righteousness. Man is depraved. Man can still confess and call out to God. He is able to do that. Because of the light God has given man. Look at verse number 11. We'll see if we can get some more clarity. On this idea of total depravity. There is none. That understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. That's pretty conclusive. But you can't read that and say. And conclude afterward. There is none that is able to respond to God. There is none that is morally able. To seek after God. If you concluded that way, that would be an improper conclusion. I would set forth to you this morning that that would be a logical fallacy. Why? I want you to imagine 
you are completely lost in one of these caves in Tennessee. There's hundreds and hundreds of caves in Tennessee. Apparently caving is very popular. I didn't know this. And you get lost in one of those caves. There's caves where you can pass a certain part in the cave and there's water there. If you pass that certain part where there's water, if it fills up with water while you're in there, you ain't getting out. <laughs> so, you know, cavers, they play these jokes on people because, you know, some cavers would say, look, I'm not going where water is. And so they, they'd say, oh, does that cave have water? No, there's, it's completely dry, man. They get in there, they find out there's water. I don't freak with your mind. I don't really freak you out. I play with your mind. You're lost in a cave. You go past where the water was, and then you find out on your way back, it's full up. You ain't getting out. You are totally unable to save yourself. You have no ability to save yourself whatsoever. There's no cell phone that works, and nobody's hearing you call for them. You're as good as dead. You're trapped in that cave. If your family reports to the search and rescue that you're gone and they start searching and rescuing for you and they end up getting close to you and they're calling for you and you can hear them and, and, and you mean to tell me that now I am unable to respond to those search and rescue team efforts that are that are seeking me that are drawing me, that are trying to save me, you're telling me I am unable to then respond? It's an illogical fallacy. You can't conclude that after the previous statement. I'm telling you, man is not the center. It is not a man-centered gospel to say that man can respond to God in faith. God is the center. He is the search and rescue team. He is the one that is initiating, seeking you. And if we all took away the power of God and the Holy Spirit and all of that, then yes, we're all some. Except God didn't set it up that way. He has came, why? To seek and save that which is lost. I'm telling you, dear sinner, if you're sitting here this morning and you have not put your faith and trust in him, he is seeking you. You are unable to save yourself, but you are not unable to respond to him in appropriate faith. And if you responded to him in faith and he wasn't a gracious God and someone and a God who saved by grace, you would drop into the pits of hell. But he saves by his grace. Let us not think for a minute that our believing saves us. God's grace saves us as we respond in appropriate faith. It's unbiblical to say, well, believing equals righteousness. But no one is righteous, so therefore no one can believe. It's an unbiblical conclusion. It is biblical to say, Romans 1.17 says, the just shall live by faith. It is biblical to say, there's none righteous, no, not one. Works cannot make you right. 
And it is biblical to say our only hope is to believe. That's the hope that we have. It's biblical to say man is totally depraved. It's biblical to say that man is morally unable to earn any type of righteousness from God by works. That's biblical total depravity. It's unbiblical to say man is unable to believe and man is unable to trust in the righteousness of another. I can't save myself trapped in the depths of the cave. But I can trust that another will. I am able to do that. When you trust in Christ, you are not earning anything. God is a just God. That means he's not damning someone to hell before the foundations of the world. And then after they're born, blame them for rejecting him. This isn't some sick and twisted game of hide and seek with God where he's purposefully trying to conceal himself where nobody can find him. He has come to seek and save that which is lost. He desires that men and women and sinners come to him. Bible says in Isaiah 55, seek you the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. And he's near. Go back to Romans chapter 1. We'll get a little glimpse back at what mankind is made of. While you're turning there, remember Psalm 910. You don't have to turn to Psalm 910. Stay in Romans 1. And they that knew, they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Romans 1, look at verse 21. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They didn't seek God. And God, Romans 1 calls them fools. You're going out and you're speaking to fools. You participate in any of the public ministries coming up in May. We got to get on that same page where, look, we're talking to fools. Don't hold it against them. God didn't hold it against you. Don't get bitter at them. God didn't get bitter at you. Don't give up on them. Oh, help me, Lord. God didn't give up on you. He didn't give up on me. Won't you seek a sinner like God sought you out? But they purposely as fools forsook the way. Let's stay in Romans 1. I'll read to you Romans 3.12. They are all gone out of the way is the next verse in Romans 3. They are all gone out of the way, both the Jew and the Gentile. They knew right. Jew had the law. They clearly knew right. But look at what it says in Romans 1 verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, 
so that they are without excuse. Clear light, they went their way. Every single religious work, and there's plenty of them, every single denomination, and there's plenty of them, if they have gone out of the way of salvation by grace, the whole thing is conceived in sin and not worth a nickel. Every single philosophy, every single religion, it doesn't matter what they try to make themselves out to be. Look at the Jew. Look at all that the Jew had. And you know what the best they got is? Look how we do our hair. Look how we dress. Look at the scriptures we have. Look at the prophets God gave us. Look at the sacrifices that we make. You would think sacrifice after sacrifice, week after week, month after month, year after year, where they're, they're doing these sacrifices. It's not like they didn't get a reminder that you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Sacrifice after sacrifice. You'd think they get it. They didn't get it. Because all it was was, look what I can do that you can't. Look what God gave us that he didn't give you. And that's religion. Go on down the line. Just pick a religion. Telling you, this thing is not about religion. It's about a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That can only be had by placing your faith in him. And he will, he will give you his righteousness. And that's the only thing we've got. Everything else. I don't want religion. It enslaves. My wife and I are watching this documentary. It's like a couple of part documentary. We're watching one one a week and it's about a religion. And just just how it is enslaving people. And people come out of it and now they have this documentary and it's and as I'm watching I said it it's the same thing. It's the same stuff. It's just cloaked in a different name. It's all works. It's all look at me, look at me, look at me. You see what we're doing? They don't have what we have. And you know how they keep their people in subjection? This is how religion will keep you in subjection. Fear. Oh, fear the man of God. You're not a man of God if you got to fear people, by the way. Make people afraid that if they don't give, God's going to swallow them up. Make people afraid that if they don't dress a certain way, that, oh, God's going to get their kids. Make people afraid, oh, you listen to that music, God's going to get you. Except God never gets them. They just keep on going and join sin. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not encouraging any of that because you can certainly cut your life short, short by living a sinful life. Religion causes you to fear unhealthily. Is that a word? A real relationship with Christ gives you freedom to follow him. Any of you parents hear these, you know, sermon analogies? Well, you gotta you gotta have rules, the rules of the fences, and the fences is safety. And everybody can stay safe if they stay inside the rules and the fences of the rules. Have you heard? I've heard sermons. I'm not saying they're all bad. Well, what if I told you you don't need a fence? 
What if I told you if you had your eyes on Christ and you're following the good shepherd, you ain't going to need a fence because wherever the Lord goes, you're going to go. I'm not saying parents don't throw out your rules. I have them. I have them. You have them. We need order. We need structure. We need all that. What I'm saying is there's a bigger picture here. And that bigger picture is, do you want your kids scared to death of you? Or do you honestly just want them to follow you because they love you? Wife threatens her husband, you know, you better come home at five o'clock, buddy, or you're sunk. Well, he's stressing out all day. You know, he comes out at five o'clock. She's the wife sitting out there with the shotgun and you're lucky you had 30 seconds or I'm coming after you. The guy's scared to death and it can go the other way, too. Wives, do you really want your husband's loving you out of fear? I don't. No spouse wants that for the other spouse. Husbands want their wives following them because they love. Spouses, it's the same thing. Family, uh, parents, child relationship, same thing. And it's the same thing with biblical Christianity. If you got your eyes on the good shepherd and you're following him, you don't need fences. Those sheep are going to hear his voice and they're going to follow him. Look at verse number 12 in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse number 12. The Bible says, they are all going out of the way. They are together to become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. God looks around for a righteous man. Everybody's excluded. God looks around for a sinful man. Everybody's included. See how it works? Ecclesiastes 7 says, there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Mankind seeks corruption, not holiness. They seek selfishness, not goodness. They seek cruelty, not kindness. The Bible says there is none that doeth good, no, not one. It's taken from Psalm 14. I'll read it to you. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. When someone blasphemes God's name, when you're witnessing, when someone says something nasty about your Savior, when you're out doing public ministry, just understand that's what fools do. We're dealing with fools. We're not going to get around that. They're corrupt. They've done abominable works. There's none that do it good. The Lord looketh down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Why did he have to look down to see if he already knew? Just saying. He couldn't believe there was that much wickedness. So God had to come down and look down. Yep, they're that bad. Watch what it says. They're all going aside. They're all together. Everybody became filthy. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. We also see that in Psalm 53. And the judge of the universe declares men as they are. Filthy. Defiant. Hopeless. So what are you and I going to do? Just leave them there? Like God did, except God didn't do that. God didn't leave him there. He's long-suffering. He died on the cross for their sin. See, Brother Jimmy, why, why do you keep pushing us to do public evangelism? 
because there's none that do as good, no, not one. And every single lost person's a fool and against God. And if they were to die without the Savior, they drop into hell. Does anybody care? Oh, you're okay with God caring for you. You're okay with God. You're okay with God seeking for you. You're okay with God dying for your sins. That's fine and dandy. But when it comes to other people, you know what? Sorry, Lord. I've got soccer practice. Sorry, Lord. It's my two hours of scrolling on Facebook that I don't want to give up. And what's with scrolling? You know, we used to go to the internet and you would type in something. There was some purpose to the search. You know, how do you fix this problem? How do you fix a, a, a leaky roof? And you know, you'd find now it's, there's no purpose. It's just, what are you looking for? I don't know. God has some purpose for you. He has some purpose for me. And what we see in Romans chapter number three, we saw God the judge in verses 9, 10, and 11. Romans chapter 3 at verse 13. Let's turn our attention to God as the physician. We saw him as the judge. Watch what it says in verse 13. The diagnosis that the physician gives isn't good. Their throat is an open sepulcher. It's a quote from Psalm 5. The great physician says, open your mouth and say, ah, <laughs> he wants to look down at your throat. Nothing good there. Doctors know. That's why they tell you, you know, you sit down, open your mouth, say, I'll oh, stick your tongue out. They put the you know thing down there. Why? Because they know that your throat, and your tongue, somehow that's a, an indicator of your health. That's why they look there. God says, open up. He wants to see the moral decay and the sinful stench that's coming out. Verse 13, with their tongues, they have used deceit. Bible says under his tongue is mischief and vanity. They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. They flatter with their tongue. The tongues are the great gift from God. The people have used it horribly to hurt people. What does it say at the end of 13? The poison of asps is under their lips. In Psalm 140, adder's poison, it says, is under their lips. The fangs are folded back. It's all hidden under the upper jaw of that serpent, of that snake. But when its head rears up and the head is ready to strike, the fangs come out. And there's a sack of deadly poison under that. And when it bites, that venom is injected in you and kills you. It's a picture of us as sinners. How many times have we used our tongue like deadly venom? Man's corrupt. Bible says in verse number 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. A quote from Psalm 10, 7. Man can't, can't speak right. All you have to do is stand out in the street corner, do some public events, and you'll find out real quick. Somebody will thumb their nose at God. Somebody will text today. OMG, because they don't care about God. It's just an irreverent use of his name. I haven't been to the movie house on years because they don't put anything out that's godly. Not against movies, just against movies that are ungodly. Why are they all blaspheming God's name? And Christians spend all of this money 
to watch it. I don't understand. Mouths are full of cursing and full of bitterness. The Bible says in Psalm 5, there's no faithfulness in their mouth. God's blessed us all with the gift of speech. And his people turn on. Romans 1 talks about whispers and backbiters. Haters of God. You couldn't cut someone's tongue out. How many times have you used your tongue to curse God? How many times have you used your tongue to use God's name irreverently? How many times have you used your tongue to talk yourself out of something you know God's telling you to do? Maybe we just cut our tongues out. Wouldn't do any good. Throat's still corrupt. Mouth is still corrupt. Why? Because the throat sits over your heart, which is defiled. Must be regenerated. And that's the order. There's an order of the inward defilement that moves to the outward defilement. The throat, and then the tongue, and then the lips, and then the mouth. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used to deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. That heart sits over, that the throat sits over a deceitful heart that's desperately wicked. The tongue was meant to praise God. My tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. Our lips are meant to give thanks to God. Our mouths, instead of filled with laughter, like Psalm 126. It's instead full of cursing and bitterness. People say the outward doesn't matter. Apparently it does to God. Because the outward defilement of your heart and my heart manifests itself in outward throat, mouth, tongue, lips. Whatever's in the heart comes out. The outward matters. It matters to God. You can't clean your outward up to make you look. You can clean your outward up to make you look like a Christian. That ain't going to save you. So you can't put the cart before the horse. But I'm telling you, there's these Christians. They, they call themselves Christians. But they're at the beach right now. Well, it don't matter. Church don't matter. Nothing outward matters. Well, it matters to you to go to the beach. And it's... 10, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock on a Sunday. Well, I'm just not good around people. There's hundreds of people at the beach. You seem to be good around people at the beach. <laughs> well, I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter what I wear. Well, God says it does matter what you wear. And you're okay with taking your clothes off at the beach with a bunch of strangers. But you can't spend an hour with God's people on a Sunday singing praises to him. Christian, we got to get our priorities right. The outward matters. The outward matters. Our tongue, our lips, our throat, our mouth, all of it should be praises toward God. Let's look at verse 15. We'll start to wind down. Verse number 15, the Bible says, Their feet are swift to shed blood. A quote from Isaiah 59. You just turn on the news, you see more bloodshed than you want. Proverbs 1 says, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. 
People's hands are no, are no better. Proverbs 6, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Man's actions are no better than his words. He's eager to run towards sin and he won't quit. We saw God as the judge. We saw God as the we saw God as the physician. And now lastly, we're going to see God as the historian. Look at verse number 16. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Mankind is not improving. It is getting worse. It is not progressing. And those who are blind to that are just blind to history. History repeats itself. The earth has always been full of violence. And it's always been filled with people whose mouths are full of cursing and all the stuff we just read. Every nation that has forgotten God, spiritual misery, spiritual destruction. Every community, every school, every family that has forgotten God, destruction and misery are in their ways. And every individual right in front of them is destruction and misery and they don't see it. They've just forgotten God. History repeats itself. God is revealing himself as the judge. God is revealing himself as the physician that can heal. God is revealing himself as the historian to say, hey, look back. It's going to be the same thing for you if you don't get yourself in my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 17, in the way of peace, they have not known. Peace has always been a stranger to the world. Quote from Isaiah 59, and it's because mankind has deep-seated guilt. Lastly, the last verse we'll look at is verse number 18. The Bible says there is no fear of God before their eyes. A quote from Psalm 36. Why is there no fear of God? No respect of God. No reverence for God. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord. I'm sorry, Proverbs 3, 7. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Don't be surprised when you offer someone a gospel track and they have no fear of God. Aren't you concerned that your sin separates you from God? Are you concerned that if you were to die today that God would drop you into hell and he'd be righteous in doing that? And they'll just say they're indifferent to it. No. The 40s and 50s and 60s are over, okay? When people, there was, there was a remnant in America that still feared God, weren't saved, but would, would never talk to a preacher or a Christian person, a Christian witness, the way that this world talks to Christians nowadays. Still lost, still going to the same hell. But the young people today, the way that they talk to their elders, the way that they talk about God, there's no fear at all. And what I'm talking about now that we're going to park on is a healthy, reverent, holy fear of God. Not, a, oh, no, he's going to get me. No, you've already been gotten. You're already condemned. And he sent his son to die for you. You need to park on that. And now that's where that reverent and holy fear comes in in other words oh my oh no oh my i shouldn't even be thinking that i am sorry lord that's called a reverent fear you get in a conversation with somebody 
you're a Christian, it starts going down the wrong road like it used to when you were lost. Halfway through that, oh, you know, you, you stop yourself. The Holy Spirit stops you. Well, I can't talk to you like that. I am sorry. Why? That's called a healthy, reverent, holy fear of God. It's completely different what we were talking about earlier in the message. Religion wants to fear people into doing things for God. A healthy, holy, reverent fear is you see God as he is, and you don't want to disrespect or show any ingratitude for what he did for you. I'm telling you, if there's no pardon, the judge isn't going to hide a sentence owed to a criminal. No physician will ever hide the cure to a disease that is killing his patient. And no historian will ever hide the dangers that would befall on you from previous history. No historian would do that. I'm telling you this morning, mankind is utterly hopeless. He is totally depraved. There is nothing he can do to save himself. That's why the Bible says, so then that they are in the flesh, cannot please God. This lost and dying world, they are great sinners. But we have a message where we want to bring them a great Savior. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, may I remind you that you are a great sinner, just like I was a great sinner. But may I introduce you to a great Savior who can save you from your great sin. Let's bow and pray. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.